place as a unicorn is a business that could go from an early stage venture backing, you know, someone gives it $100,000, within a few years it's worth a billion dollars. And there's never been a unicorn in the water sector. A water unicorn. Never been a water unicorn. In Silicon Valley, there's over a thousand unicorn businesses that exist, but none in water. And so I find myself constantly hunting for what might be a unicorn. I've seen two or three actually that I think have got potential. So one of them. Welcome to The Outfall. I'm Robert, and today we talk with Dr. Piers Clark about water trends and companies that can change the world. I know, big stuff, right? Piers is the founder and chairman of Isle Utilities. They have offices all over the world, and what they do, they help water utilities identify and adopt new technology and innovations. So we're trying to help the utility get bankable propositions. It's a great job. We've been doing it for 10 years or so. We've seen 6,000 or so technologies. We've facilitated over a billion dollars of investment. And we work with 200 plus municipalities and water utilities around the world. Piers is a perfect person to talk about future water trends and companies that could change the world. Now, a word of warning. This is not for language. This is for some of y'all that listen to your podcasts at a higher speed setting you may have to slow the speed down for this one. Our talk with peers is like being strapped in a race car on an open road. Get your sunglasses on and buckle up. people are very excited about artificial intelligence and blockchain and things like that. Either I'm too old to understand this stuff or, well, I don't know, I, I find, I think blockchain is a distraction. It's a bit like um, 3D printing. A few years ago it was talked about as being, this is going to revolutionize the water sector. And I was like, well, I don't think so. I don't see it happening. I've got a sneaky feeling that blockchain might be the same for the water sector. The applications, there are a few, but they're not obvious. Artificial intelligence, of course, is a huge issue for us, um, a huge opportunity for us. But that's really just about dealing with big sets of data and coming up with more informed decision choices and being able to respond quicker. And so whilst I recognize that those are very important, I don't, I don't get that quiver of excitement that I get about other things. So the ones I get excited about are, are things like the generation of biodegradable plastic from organic waste. You know, if someone had said 10 years ago, we're going to be able to make plastic out of organic waste shit, um, uh, you'd laugh at them. And actually now the technology is so well understood. And of course, the plastics agenda is in everyone's minds. I was in Singapore last week and you could see that even in Southeast Asia, which is usually the last to embrace these sorts of things, um, this whole idea of not, not having a plastic bag when you collect your, your shopping was, was embedded. So um, I love the, the bioplastics from organic waste. And you could imagine that anaerobic digesters of the future won't be producing um, biogas. They will still be generating the volatile fatty acids, which they make nowadays, which is what then through methanogenesis forms the, um, um, the biogas. But instead, you'll be harvesting the volatile fatty acids and be turning those into things called PHAs, polyhydroxyl alkanates, which are the base compounds for, um, for biodegradable plastic. And currently, the economics are such that that's probably 20 times more economically valuable to a water utility to go down that route than it is to go to biogas. And yeah, I think when you start seeing those sorts of economics, this idea that wastewater treatment plants are going to be a cost sink, you'll see them rapidly changing. They'll become something where they're 
they're just money-making machines. Yeah, that's what I, I think we should be thinking about wastewater treatment as being something that could be money-making. Which leads neatly on to other technologies I love. Resource recovery, there's lots around organic nutrient recovery and cellulose recovery. You right. can recover cellulose, you know, toilet paper basically, uh, the toilet paper fibres and that could be used in building manufacturing. The bit I particularly am excited there is on phosphorus recovery because I think phosphorus is the environmental problem that we are not talking about. It is going to be the issue. It's more important, it's more scary than climate change and it's unavoidable at the risk of telling you something you already know. Phosphorus is a a vital nutrient. Every living thing, plant or animal, human being, uh, requires phosphorus to live. Your cells only speak to each other because the phosphorus sort of facilitates the synapses working. And we're going to run out of phosphorus. We're mining it out. In a normal circumstance, what would happen is you'd eat, you'd eat a diet of phosphorus, you'd excrete some of it, you'd keep some of it in your body, and then when you died, the phosphorus would leach out of your, your system and be taken up by the environment around you and be constantly recycled. About, I don't know, 50 years or so ago, we discovered that if we spread phosphorus fertilizers on to crops they grow much faster and so we now mine phosphorus out of the earth and we spread it on the crops and it rains and most of the phosphorus washes off and causes eutrophication in lakes and so phosphorus is thought of as a bad thing although actually it's very good there's usually just enough left in the crops even after the leaching to enable your crops to grow faster and ultimately all the phosphorus because you can't destroy phosphorus it's an element it all accumulates in the oceans and then precipitates out as a dust on the ocean floor where to all intents and purposes it's lost from mankind. You know, it'll come back in 10 billion years when the Earth's crust sort of has recycled it, but it's lost for all intents and purposes. The doomsday predictors say we're going to run out of phosphorus in 30 years' time. I think that's probably unrealistic. I think we've probably got two or 300 years to go, but that's nothing. That's a, that's a blink in an eye in the time that humans have been on the planet. Your great-great-great-grandchildren will probably live in a world where the rich will have a phosphorus-rich diet and will live for a long time, and the poor will not. The poor will live a much shorter life, less quality uh, life, much poorer quality life. And we've got a chance to correct that problem today. And we in the water sector in particular have a chance to correct that problem because the phosphorus actually gathers in the sewage works. It's what causes struvite. If you hear people talk about struvite, struvite is basically just phosphorus precipitating out in your pipes. And there are technologies which can recover that phosphorus and it then becomes this slow release, high value fertilizer. Brilliant technology. There's lots of people who do it, but my favorite is Ostara, which is a um, Canadian business. So there's that as a technology. Then you mentioned earlier, you've then got low temperature anaerobic digestion. So 2% of the world's electrical power is currently used to blow air into wastewater treatment. That's horrific. 2% of the electrical generation we have is used to blow air into wastewater so that bugs can do their aerobic um, degradation process. Anaerobic treatment would be so much more sensible but doesn't work with low strength, low temperature waste. So the holy grail has always been, can, is there a way of doing low temperature, low strength anaerobic treatment? And I think NVP Energy have cracked it. So NVP Energy is a Irish company. They've built a number of industrial installations now with Heineken and, and ABP Foods, an abattoir. And they've got their first full-scale domestic wastewater treatment plant being installed at Welsh Water, Dwyr Cymru, which is my, the only words I know in Welsh. Dwyr, which is uh, water, and Cymru, which is Welsh. So Dwyr Cymru is, is Welsh Water. So uh, Welsh Water is trialling the first full-scale plant. And the eyes of the world should be watching this. I'm, of course, in places like Latin America, they do anaerobic treatment of wastewaters, but that's because it's warm there. You know, you've got the benefit of it right. being warm. Anaerobic bacteria, what's working in your stomach now? You're sitting there at 
100 degrees Fahrenheit or 37 degrees, degrees um, Celsius and the bugs need to work at that temperature. When you've got them working at low temperatures, it's called psychrophilic anaerobic digestion. And working at psychrophilic temperatures, you've usually got to have this really long solids retention time. You've got to trap the solids there for a long time. And uh, NVP Energy have, have done well in, in cracking that particular nut. investor community you hunt for for things called unicorns so a unicorn is a business that you is venture backed and then becomes worth a billion okay so it's a unicorn is a business that could go from an early stage venture backing you know someone gives it a hundred thousand dollars within a few years it's worth a billion dollars and there's never been a unicorn in the water sector a water unicorn there's never been a water unicorn in silicon valley there's over a thousand unicorn businesses that exist but none in water. And so I find myself constantly hunting for what might be a unicorn. I've seen two or three, actually, that I think have got potential. So one of them is, just because I've, I've talked about wastewater one, so I'll, I'll pick an example from clean water, is a company called G2O. They're based actually out of, um, uh, they're based out of Atlanta and, and Manchester in the UK, so Atlanta in North America and Manchester in, uh, in the UK. They've got two headquarters. They're an early-stage startup that... that is incredibly disruptive in the field of desalination. So the G2O, it's obviously a play on H2O, and the G stands for graphene. And so it's a graphene-based technology, graphene being this new material that was invented about 15 years ago that has a whole series of magical properties. And at one stage, people thought that in the water industry, you coat graphene on the inside of water pipes, and because it's almost frictionless, you'd be able to pump water thousands of miles without losing any, any head on your, your pipe. Head loss. Head loss. But that's not what these guys do. They, they can put a coating on a membrane and it makes the, mem- the flux through the membrane increase by about 10 times. 10 times. You know, the, normally in desalination, what you're looking for is a, a minute, you know, we found another way of squeezing another half percent out of this. Not 10,000, no, not a thousand fold increase, which is what these guys can potentially do. So it's a staggering capability still early stage in technology readiness levels they're probably still a five or six and nine being fully fledged zero being sort of an idea you had in the bath last night so they're still in they're still in that um that mid-tier range they're one to watch another one's called bio bullets now there's a bit of a story that has to come with bio bullets mussels uh, as in um, clams i know what you call them we call them mussels grow inside water pipes and they're a real pain because they cut the flow down the pipe it means you've got to pump harder uh, and they're a nightmare to clean out bio bullets and normally the way you kill them is you dose chlorine into the pipe and what happens is the mussel sits there with its sort of gaping mouth and it can smell the chlorine coming and so it shuts its mouth and the thing about mussels is they're quite good. They can, they can hold their breath, as it were, for, for about three weeks. And after three weeks, they finally go, oh, I've got to breathe, and they die. And, they, and, and so you, you have to dose huge amounts of chemicals into the environment to, to sweep out these mussels. And it's a pain. And then, then what happens is you kill everything and you get this sort of this load of, of dead, rotting muscle that you then have to deal with. You get a pollution load of rotting muscle meat to deal with. Now, biobullets has basically taken salt granules and, and coated them with a layer of fat so that you dose these bullets into the pipe and the, the muscle sits there gaping away and it goes, oh, here comes a piece of fat. Gobbles down, eats through the muscle, eats through the fat layer, hits the salt and dies. Now, the beauty of this, there's a few things that I like about this idea. One is you can control the amount of killing that goes on. You, know, you can dose a little amount of biobullets and kill just a small proportion 
or you can kill them all in one go and you can manage your pollution load of the dead mussels. Even better, once you've cleaned your pipe, you're never going to give, it's like selling drugs, not that, not that I sell drugs, but I can imagine you're, this is, you, as a commercial model, you're dosing in a little bit of bio bullets to keep your pipe clean, because that way you'll never get muscles forming in there. So it's got this beautiful commercial model, it doesn't require huge amounts of civil engineering, a nice environmental way of controlling an invasive species that causes all sorts of health and safety issues because normally people have to go into confined spaces to clear out the, bio, the, the, the mussels. It causes enormous amounts of water quality issues and, and big, big issues on energy bills because you're pumping water harder. So I like BioBullets, it's one of my favorites. And then just to go to a completely different example, there's a company called Untapped. Now this is about distributed water in rural areas. I'm going to take you away from the world that we're probably most familiar with, which is developed water utilities who've got you know, water supply pipes and you, the customer turns on a tap and a faucet and gets, gets a glass of water. In many parts of the world that doesn't exist. And what you'll have is you'll have a tanker drive to your local village and they will sell you water at exorbitant prices, probably 10 times the price you're paying uh, here in the United States. And it will be poor quality water that you buy from a tanker and then the tanker drives off taking money out of the local community, and it is, it's terrible. Now, Untapped has basically invented the corner shop. Uh, what they've got is they've got a small membrane for the plant, which will drill down, it'll take, it takes um, local water and cleans it on site. And then people can come to the shop and they buy their water from the shop. It's a water kiosk. But the novelty here, and there's lots of water kiosks all around the world, but they, don't, they generally don't work because the commercial model's not been developed properly and what they've done in untapped and it's a dear friend of mine a chap called Jim Chu who launched it initially in Haiti was to build this sort of collection of shops and you've got to have a good brand you know people think that poor people in places like Haiti uh, are scrambling a living they want just what you want they want they want safe secure environment for their children to grow up in they want uh, a clean they want to drink clean water they want to buy water from a shop that looks wholesome and the best bit about this is it keeps money in the local community it keeps employment in the local community it also provides a, a forum now for not just selling water but now the local farmer can sell milk there or other products can be sold you can actually start selling um, family planning you know you can sell condoms and the such like there if that's you know what the community needs you suddenly created a corner shop which i find beautiful in that it's it's water back at the heart of the community and then building things around it which um, offers all sorts of potential we like to think that in this modern age is the only time that scientists have predicted being dooms doomsday, making doomsday predictions about what's coming. In 1856, Joseph Faraday predicted that the Thames, the River Thames was going to get polluted and there was going to be a catastrophic situation. Two years later, that prediction came true. It's funny, I love that story because it was a scientist who looked at the evidence and had said, you know what, if we carry on doing what we're doing, we're in shit creek here. You know, things are going to go incredibly badly wrong. And he told people, and everyone was like, nah, 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 yeah, whatever. And it was, that disaster appeared very quickly, and, and that then led to the Bazalgette sewers and everything happening in London. Scientists today can see evidence coming. So my prediction is that the United Arab Emirates is going to run out of water in the next 15 years. 
we're running out of groundwater at a preposterous rate there. Water usage is still not being curtailed. And actually, if you just look at the, the maps of groundwater for the UAE, the red zones are getting bigger and bigger. And the attitude of the general populace isn't one of there's a disaster coming. So we're sort of racing towards the precipice without an awareness that the disaster's coming. And people say, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just build another desal plant. Well, there's 1,500 desal plants around the Persian Gulf. And the Persian Gulf is rising in salinity at a faster rate than the flora and fauna can cope with. So we're going to end up with no groundwater in the UAE, and we're going to end up with a dead sea in the Persian Gulf. And if you think about the Persian Gulf, you've got, you know, if we just go around the edges, you've got Iraq, Iran, uh, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and then Amman. That's the Gulf. So this is, is not the most stable of regions in the, in the world. And I think when we run out of water, what will happen is there will be an exodus. There will be a sort of exodus on biblical scales of literally millions of people needing to move to an area. One could argue that the war in Syria, that we don't tend to talk about because most of us don't really understand it. The war in Syria is actually driven by water. And I always, I, my view is different now than it was 15 years ago when people used to say, oh, there'll be wars about water in the future. I go, no, there won't, because you can build a desal plant for cheaper than you can build an Exocet missile. So surely you'd just build a desal plant. The truth of the matter is that that's not how it works. And there will be more conflict, more mass migrations caused because water stress is driving people out of areas. And I think we're going to see it in the UAE. The other area I think we should watch is Mexico, because uh, you know, Mexico City is a very precious, very delicate situation. And the water pipes, you know, you've got 25 million people living in a city, and there'll be water pipes that one of the earthquakes are going to break, and you're going to end up with a big zone of Mexico City that won't have water. And that's going to result in an exodus of people out of that city. The story I, I regularly tell is that you know, water, you get riots on the street within hours when water breaks down. You don't get that with, with energy. You know, if you have a power cut, people relax, and they go, okay, well, the power will come back on again. If your water breaks down, you get riots on the street pretty quickly. And that makes sense, because if you imagine, when do you find out you haven't got water? Well, you find out when you are trying to feed your children, when you're trying to bathe your children, when, you're, when your grandma has just been to the toilet and finds she can't flush her toilet. That's when she finds out that her water's been cut off. And that smirk on your face is, it is sort of amusing, but it's also horrific when you put yourself into the circumstance of vulnerable people finding out that they don't have access to, to water. Find out at a time when you're vulnerable. And therefore, all sorts of emotions kick in of fear and anger. And we're going to see some of that happening. And it's going to happen in our lifetime. A big shout out to Dr. Piers Clark for joining us. Please see the show notes to learn more about Dr. Clark and Ali Utilities. We put some links there to some of the companies mentioned in this episode. Please subscribe to the show. Leave us some feedback and share this podcast with your friends. David, Amy, and I appreciate all the positive feedback so far. When we were editing and reviewing this show, we read some of the feedback. So a big shout out to Osbag Jack. He uh, wrote a nice review for us, five stars. The Outfall is well-written by Academy Acclaim producer Robert Osborne. It is brilliant the ways he compares water to life. The guests he brings into The Outfall are amazing and have great taste. I know what I'll be listening to at the South Carolina Environmental Conference. As you can imagine, that was my 15-year-old son. So, enough said. <laughs> yeah, that's a talented individual right yeah. there. Oh, you got to be proud of that son of Thank yours. Thank you. 
Hey, there's another one. All you all day wrote us a nice little comment. Very informative and easy to digest. Mm. I, see, I see what he's doing there, or she. I don't know. Very informative and easy to digest. Like it. Yeah. Hopefully that's not a, a dig at our, you know, wastewater sort of bin. And thank you to T-Storm2000, who says, water, water everywhere, and gave us a five-star review. This person says, great podcast from professionals in the water industry. Subjects range from climatology to entomology, but the tie that binds is always water. Anyone interested in these topics will enjoy the material presented. As a water professional myself, the subjects they present are definitely in my personal interest window. Enjoy. Well, thank you, T-Storm2000. We uh, would love to meet you one day, a fellow water professional. Thanks for writing in. Um, all right. Thank you. All right. Let's get on <laughs> to our real lives. The Outfall Podcast, exploring the hidden edge of our natural water world and our infrastructure. 